everyone, welcome to the True Crime Podcast, where we mainly focus on local San Diego cases. My name is Irina. And I'm Renette. In our first episode, I'm going to be talking about the Jodine Sarin case. I'm going to call her Jody for short because that's what her family and friends called mm-hmm. her. So this was a cold case for a decade, but thanks to detectives who didn't give up and DNA technologies, the case was able to get solved. So Jodine Sarin, she was born in Glendale, California in 1967 to Lois and Arthur Sarin. Born in Glendale, but then she they moved to Ohio, so she was raised most of her life in Ohio. She was one of five siblings. Okay. Was she the youngest, or do you know? She was one of the middle child. Middle I know child. she wasn't the oldest, and she wasn't the youngest. She was oh, the middle okay. child. And then they ended up making their way down to Carlsbad, California. She was said to be really sweet, kind. Uh, she had a lot of hobbies. She liked to make floral arrangements. She even got certified. She got a certificate for it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you could get certificates for that, but that's good. Yeah, and I think it's great. <laughs> because she's in Carlsbad and they have the flower fields. Oh, so. right. Yes, yes. Makes sense. Like I said, she floral arrangements, uh, did kayaking. She loved animals. She had a horse named Sam and a Aww. cat named Angel. She would volunteer for the San Diego Humane Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, volunteered at her local church, the National Alliance of the Mentally Ill. Wow. And she would hang out with homebound elderly citizens. Wow, she sounds amazing. Super, super nice person, super uh, active social life. So her parents bought her a condo nearby. That way they can have her nearby as she relied on them for some help. It was said that she had mental disabilities. Some reports said she had schizophrenia, but I couldn't confirm anything like from coming out of her parents' mouth, so I, I don't know if that's really Oh, okay, really nothing true. confirmed then. Yeah. No, not the schizophrenia, but she definitely had mental disabilities. Like, I seen an interview on YouTube, and they oh. were talking, saying, you know, they mentioned that she had mental disabilities. Oh, okay. There was certain things she couldn't do, such as driving. She relied on her parents to take her to and from doctor's appointments. Oh, okay. They couldn't take her. She took public transportation and that sort of stuff. Oh, that's good that at least she can kayak and horseback ride, just not be able to drive. Right, right. Although she had some mental uh, handicaps, she was super high functioning. Like I said, because she did so much volunteering, she was super active. Jody was super close to her parents. If they didn't see her every single day, they at least talked to her multiple times a day. The night that the crime happened, it was Valentine's Day 2007. So she was 39 years old at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, her parents wanted to go on a romantic dinner and you know, movies and that sort of stuff. And throughout that day, they tried calling her multiple times and she didn't answer the phone. Uh-oh. And that's that wasn't like her because, like I said, they were super close to her and they talked all the time. Even though they were worried because she didn't answer, Arthur, the dad, was just kind of like, oh, you know, Lois, I'm sure she's fine. She's probably busy. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's taking a nap. Let's still go have dinner yeah. and go to the movies. If she doesn't answer or call us back by that time, then we'll just stop by the house and go check on her. Mm-hmm. So they went to dinner, went to the movies, and after the movies, um, they called her again. She didn't answer. The mom, Lois, had this really, really bad feeling in her Always gut. Always had that instinct. <laughs> yes. Instinct. Yeah. Yes. And so um, they drove to her house, and um, they drove to her condo. And when they got there, they noticed the lights were on. So they start knocking on the door, calling out her name. Nobody answered. But they also noticed that there was a pair of men's shoes like left at the front door. Mm-hmm. She uh, was like you and I, like we both said, that we don't allow people to wear shoes when they oh, enter okay. our home. So when they saw that, do you, do you know if maybe she could have been dating? Like the parents thought maybe she had a man over. It was said that she's had an ex-boyfriend okay. in the past. I don't know if it was multiple, but I know she definitely had at least one ex-boyfriend in the past. Oh, okay. All right. Um, 
but they it was saw, Valentine's Day, so it was Valentine's Day, so maybe you know they thought, well, she's you know she 39 years old. If yeah, she wants exactly. to have a man over, well, mm-hmm. by all means, have a man over, you know. But why not answer the phone? <laughs> yeah, so because that wasn't like her. Yeah, they they were knocking, saw the men's shoes, nobody was answering. So um, they actually had a spare key to her condo. Mm. So Arthur tries opening the door, but it had from the inside like those latch, the chain latch doors, oh, the little chain. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So he couldn't get in, and but he was able to get like at that point a partial view of the of the condo and nothing looked ransacked or anything like that mm-hmm. like i said like lights no were on or anything no no break in and so he's yelling her name again no answer so he just ends up kicking the door in okay good <laughs> gets in and um they go he goes straight to her bedroom the mom lois was kind of in the living room area she didn't enter the bedroom with arthur but when he opens that door it's dark in there he sees jody laying on the bed naked and a man on top of her halfway naked um having sex having an intimate moment oh okay so obviously he's super embarrassed like i would die if i walked did they did they see him um the door well the man scene like the man that was on top of her scene but um right away like arthur was like oh my gosh i'm so sorry uh but you guys need to get dressed and you know uh jody your mom and i will be waiting for you in the living room okay did she answer no no response Mm. no response and he really couldn't see any reaction from her because it was mostly dark yeah okay he had a better view of what the man looked like okay so he goes back to the living room and tells his wife Lois what happened and he's like mortified just yeah so like <laughs> I just walked into my daughter yeah, yeah. super awkward mm-hmm. so he's waiting and waiting 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 nobody comes out so he's like you know what we, I need to just go in there and check what what the heck is going on yeah. he goes in there and the man was no longer in the room but Jodine was laying there lifeless she was dead <gasps> Oh, my God. There was blood all over her. There was blood on the bed. There was, um, it, you could tell that she had been strangled and she was beaten. Yeah. Oh. So right away when he sees that, um, I don't remember which parent it was, but one of the parents calls 911. Mm-hmm. Oh, it must have been Lois, the wife, because she calls 911 and then Arthur starts performing CPR on his daughter. But when he touched her, her body was, was cold. cold. Oh, my gosh. So, so she'd been dead for a while. She had been dead for and a while. He was fucking her. <laughs> her yes, yes. Wow. So like, what what they thought that they walked into this man having like um, a consensual, intimate moment with his daughter was actually a man, <gasps> and he could have committing caught necrophilia, him and he left. He what did he do? Jump out the window? I mean, well, so then. So he they he sees that or whatever, and her she's cold. Rigor mortis had actually set in. Wow! And I looked online; it says How like rigor mortis it? sets in anywhere from eight to twelve hours. <gasps> a body, a person passed. So oh my god, I I thought it was like two to three, maybe. I didn't know it took that long. Yeah, so she'd been dead for eight to twelve. Eight to twelve hours. Holy shit! Yeah. So <gasps> he um ends up like um. Oh, and I should mention, too, so like I said, the guy was gone by the time he went back in there where Arthur and Lois were waiting for their daughter in the living room. You couldn't see from like the bedroom to the front door. So he like and there was no signs of breaking, like no. Yeah. So he walked out of that front door without like Arthur and Lois noticing. (gasps) Are you serious? Mm -hmm. So 
Okay, and it must have been someone that she knew because she let him in, I'm guessing. Right. No break-in. She had his shoes the out. Shoes. No, nothing, like, thrown onto the floor. No. Wow. So, yeah. definitely someone she knew and she trusted. Right. And then he just left after. And then I read somewhere, like, on um, one of the, uh, uh, an obituary, and there was a comment that somebody had mentioned that um, she was too trusting. Yeah. Wow. Someone said that. So it was her fault. I know. Fucking assholes. People say that all the yeah. time. 911 gets there and they assess the crime scene and they notice that um, they did start to notice that there was some items that looked a little bit out of place. Mm. Like one item was a large oval shaped mirror and it was broken off of its stand and it was placed like in a certain area in her room where the perpetrator was able to watch himself have sex with her. <gasps> He purposely positioned the mirror to see. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. What a sicko. Yeah. Jesus. So they noticed that. And then, like I said, they noticed the men's shoes that were, you mm -hmm. know, left at the front door. Nothing. There was not a robbery. Nothing was stolen or anything like that. Um, and but the dad did get a look at his face, you said? Like he... They were able, he was able to see a little bit, but again, it was dark. Okay. So he gave a description, said it was a white male in his 30s, heavy set, dark blonde or light brown hair. Okay. He actually thought it was probably one of her ex-boyfriends. And that's why I say I knew she at least had one. He oh, told the police, gave okay. them a name. I mean, that's always like the first suspect is yeah. the spouse or ex, you know. Yeah. The husband mm -hmm. always does, did it or whatever, other. you know. <laughs> and so you're all looking at Sal. <laughs> <laughs> While the detectives assessed the crime scene, like I said, they did notice that oval-shaped mirror was out of place, but that nothing had been stolen. Mm -hmm. um, the shoes that were left at the door, which meant like she welcomed that person in. So they felt that it was probably somebody that if at the very least they didn't know Jodine, they had kind of been like watching her and kind of like started to learn what her routine is. Of course, yeah. And like I had mentioned, Jodine had been dead for several hours, so the fact that the killer was like doing necrophilia shows yeah. that he didn't feel rushed. He didn't expect nobody to come, like he was just didn't feel rushed at all. So Which is the, really scary. Very scary. About. Yeah. And the motive wasn't even burglary, like not even bur burglary. Nope. Like I said based on that, the detectives thought that, you know, he must have known Jody. So they collected the unknown male's DNA. They got his sperm. Um, they actually were able to get some of the DNA underneath her fingernails. Oh, good. So that shows like she fought back. Yeah, good. So she fought back. They entered the unknown male's DNA into CODIS. For those who don't know what CODIS is, CODIS is an acronym for Combined DNA Index System. So the case ran dry for a little over a decade. Wow. And Crime Stoppers, Stoppers offered a $1,000 reward and Jodine's parents added, match that. So mm -hmm. added another grand. But at that time, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he was uh, the governor of California. So the, he the added governator. 50. Mm. Yeah. Oh, he did. Yeah, he added 50 grand to, you know, to see like if they any tips would come in that would leave, lead to an arrest and a conviction. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, nobody came forward. You know how you hear cases and it's disappointing because the investigators really just didn't do what their job is to do and they kind of just like let it go early on yeah um they they were working hard they like they the parents always thanked the investigators that's good for being so fantastic and trying so hard for their daughter jody so investigators linked up with the virginia-based technology company called parabon nanolabs they specialize in predicting like the physical appearance what the mm. killer would have looked like they collect the dna put it in their system and it'll tell them you know Eye kind color. of like a photo mm -hmm. right Hair like color. if it's their race 
you know also that was the first time that was ever used in a case in san diego oh really yeah wow and what year is this again sorry 2017 2017 yeah so wow. 2017 not that long ago at all the fact that they can use that actually i think is like so amazing yeah, like the way that's really cool yeah. i mean cold cases coming back and being solved Yes. So in November of 2018, the Carlsbad Police Department and the district attorney's office put on a press conference and said that they found the killer. And his name was David Mabrito. So all thanks to the genetic genealogy and the male DNA that was found to the crime scene, they were able to locate David's relatives. Mm -hmm. And they actually found um, his son, Dylan, who was like a teenager in high school at that time. It was his one and only son and his ex-wife, Marissa. I seen an interview on YouTube and you can see his son Dylan talk about it, like about the day that the police came and that they're trying to solve a cold case and mm -hmm. they wanted to ask if they're willing to provide their DNA. And the police said that, you know, Dylan and Marissa, his ex-wife were super like helpful and cooperative with the police. Actually, they ended up giving them a Citizens of Hope award oh, wow, for okay. helping solve this cold case. It was like one in quant quantillion. There was like no way that it wasn't David. Oh my gosh. So they were, obviously they were devastated, shocked. I guess a year before the crime took place is when they divorced. Mm -hmm. And David was, uh, he was a transient. Uh, it was said that he became addicted to meth. And Dylan and Marissa lived near Jody. So he, he frequented that oh, area. So that's how he followed her around probably, like yeah. you said and knew her yeah. schedule. So great for the family. They found the killer, great, but unfortunately they were never able to get answers because David Mabrito had committed suicide four years after he murdered Jodine. Oh, wow. So he committed suicide. I think he was 42 years old, so they were never able to give answers and the media had put out, you know, that they had solved this decade-long cold case and put the the killer's photo out there and mm -hmm. his name marissa was they were getting bullied and harassed that's awful so she said she has if it's off. their fault <laughs> right like they're victims in this too yeah they had no idea no so she had to turn off her phone and not go on social media for like three months she said and and the interviews like i can't even imagine like the Poor Dylan, like he already had to go with knowing, living his life, knowing his dad committed suicide. Then you find out your dad is a rapist and a murderer and a necrophilia. Yeah. That's like awful. So I feel so bad for him. And he was a teenager? 16? Yeah, he was in high school. I don't wow. know how old Already exactly. going through some, some terrible shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, this all comes out. Yeah. So you know how I mentioned um, a couple times about the men's pair of shoes that was left at the front door? Right. So when the police showed Marissa the pair of shoes, like this is before they confirmed it was David, but mm -hmm. when they showed her the pair of shoes that was at the crime scene, right away in this YouTube video, you can look it up, but she said she knew straight away that those were David's oh shoes. Oh my gosh. She recognized those <sighs> shoes. That must have been an awful feeling. Yes. She was saying that, you know, they never understood why David committed suicide. It was something that they were blaming themselves for years, more like she was blaming herself, but she said, now I know why he committed suicide. Guilt. Because what the guilt. I wonder if he had ever committed anything like that with anyone else. Like if he, he ever raped or attacked someone else. Like I, with how brutal it was and the necrophilia, like I, I feel like he had to have done this he had before. Practiced. Yeah. He must have been. And he was so confident 
It right. seemed like he wasn't scared at all. No, he wasn't scared at all. And his parents, all. the parents of the victim were right downstairs. And he just yeah. walked out the front door. Just walked out. So actually, one of the neighbors, the night that the crime took place, they said that they had seen a man at around the same time that everything happened mm-hmm. running down an embankment. Oh, wow. So like at a super fast speed, and he just looked like he was just running from something. Yeah. I went into newspaper archives and I came across the obituary of David Mabrito and I'm going to read to you like what his ex-wife Marissa had said she said never in a million years would I ever think I would lose you so young I'm so baffled lost shocked and so completely empty since you left us you gave me such an amazing gift and I will always love you for that thank you for always taking care of us and for giving me the best of you I miss you she wrote this because he committed suicide in 2011 so she wrote this in 2014 I guess he was heavy on her mind she went back to that obituary page and wrote that note but what was so crazy to me is because it was like the day she wrote that note was on February 14th like the (gasps) same day that he committed that Valentine's Day yes so I I thought that was crazy to me when I saw the the date that she had wrote that so I I feel so awful for Arthur and Lois because I feel like they love their daughter so much and I mean they took such good care of her yes checking up on her they obviously had a good relationship they talked every day like you said yeah and he they tried to do what was best for her which was like giving her also some sense of freedom and I feel like as a parent whether you have a child that has disabilities are not something that I think most parents at least like I know I've struggled with is like making sure you respect your children enough to give them some sort of like privacy but also trying to make sure that they're safe Mm -hmm. and I think like the plan that they had in place as far as buying her a home and making sure she was safe so they had it nearby where they live they did almost everything possible to keep her safe they did everything and yet this horrible piece of crap human being like took that away from them and can you just imagine the trauma that they feel because the low no no, i'm sorry (laughs) author had actually she had he had said in an interview he says that he lives with regret because he feels like it's kind of like his fault because he let the killer get (gasps) away and it's not even like it's not his fault that always breaks my heart when parents feel so guilty about it and there's really nothing they could have done he didn't know like right but the fact that he could have stopped, I mean, the killer, she was already dead. But She was already dead. So for me, I feel like him. kind of that should give him peace because I'd be like, kind of like, you know, well, I couldn't save her because she was already deceased at that time. It feels so bad for them. It feels so bad for them. I tried to look up on like, where are they now? Like in mm-hmm. 2022, like what's going on with their lives? I did come across some of Jody's like siblings, Facebooks, and I saw kind of what was going on in her siblings life and stuff like that. But I really, I couldn't find what's going on now with like Arthur and Lois. I know they're in their late 80s. They still mm-hmm. live in Carlsbad. Um, Probably just trying to live their lives peacefully. Right, mm-hmm. right. And, and like, I, I'm not sure if I had mentioned, but every year after the murder took place like when it was valentine's day they had to they said they took a day trip out of carlsbad because it was just that day was so heavy for them yeah understandable so the last thing i just wanted to say is like how great it is to have these dna advancements because i'm hoping that now this can be one of the many cold cases that detectives are going to be able to solve usually i hate cold cases because i need to know who what the murderer was like i need to know that it's been resolved um just so the the fact that Jodine 
um, we discovered her killer 10 years later. That's amazing. Yes. Mm. And when I first like came across this case, I actually thought at first it was a cold case still. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I started, you know, reading more into it that, you know, it was solved. Good news to it. You know, at least they found the killer. But it just really sucks that they weren't able to get the answers like why he chose her. Like, yeah, the motive of why her? I mean, he must have seen how kind she was and just so innocent looking. That Yeah. So that was the Jody Seren case. Our plan for this podcast is I'm going to pick a case. I'll discuss it. But at the next episode, Arena is going to choose a case and talk about it. Yes. Next time I will be taking over and talking about another local San Diego case. So thank you everyone for thank taking you. the time to listen to this. See you next time. Bye. Bye.